We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. WGR Sports Radio 550 presents. I got some banana bread at work today, dude. Hell yeah. Sports Talk Saturday. But there's a lot of bad things in this world, dude. Like skunks, dude? Hell no. Scratching your eye, but it's still itchy, dude? Hell no. Like getting paid not a lot of money, dude, for working? Hell no. On WGR. But banana bread at work, dude? Hell yeah. Sports Radio 550. Hell yeah, brother. Welcome into Sports Talk Saturday, Nate Geary. I got Zach Jones hanging out. A little condensed version of Sports Talk Saturday. It's the last time we'll do this, I promise. Just, it's important. It's Final Four weekend. Duke, North Carolina, all wrapped up into one. But more importantly, I've got to get to yesterday first. But, and then, but let, me, let me lay out the rest of the show this afternoon because we do have a good one for you lined up. I've got uh, a very busy 12 o'clock hour, and we'll get right into it. Matthew Paris of the Washington Giant Times is going to join us in about 10 minutes. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Washington Commanders, obviously the Daniel Snyder situation and Carson Wentz and all that good stuff. Evan Lazar of CLNS Media is going to join us too at 1230-ish. Uh, we're going to chat about the Patriots offseason or lack thereof. Uh, but first... Uh, before we do that, and, and, and again at 1 o'clock, I will be talking a little bit of Browns football. We're going to talk a little Deshaun Watson and the Browns outlook. Baker Mayfield, what's going on there? Pete Smith of SI, he covers the Browns. He's going to join us at 1 p.m. But thank you all for listening. I needed at least 10 minutes. I wanted at least a half hour, but I'm going to get 10 minutes to talk a little bit about yesterday. I was not at the game. Zach was. Correct, Zach? You were, you were there live at Key Bank Center. I was at the game, yes. You were at Key Bank Center. Um, I don't know where to start. With yesterday, because it was just so perfect, the performance on the ice, after the game, the crowd, the pregame, watching that arena fill up at 5.15 p.m., um, seeing the photos, seeing that 10,000 fans got those banners. First and foremost, I think it's important that all of us recognize, acknowledge, they've earned it, and this is rightfully so. We've given the Pagulas... A lot of pushback. We've given them a lot. We've given them the business for the better part of a couple of years. And it has been earned. Um, This team has not been competitive. But worse than not being competitive, they have not shown a real... You don't want to feel like you're in an arena where the fans care more than the players on the ice. And for the better part of three, four, five seasons, it has felt that way And there's probably nothing worse. And that's, by the way, reflective of what the whatever the the amount of people that have been at games for the last two and a half seasons is reflective of just not just the product on the ice, but how fans feel they are treated in their in-game experience. The prices at the concession stands. Everything. It just it felt like nothing could go right for the Sabres, for the Pagulas, for Kevin Adams, whoever was in the GM seat before him, whoever's the head coach before Don. Everything's working. Everything looks good. Everything feels good. For the first time in, I, I genuinely cannot remember, I don't want this season to end. 
I don't. And I, I recognize the future is probably the most fun part about this season. This season feels good. I enjoy watching the games. I enjoy feeling like when I, I watch the game, Zach, until Don Granado comes on TV. That I watch it through the entire post game. I love listening to Marty and Duffer. And then it gets to Don Granado, and every night I, I I'm just genuinely captivated by the things that Don Granado says. And yesterday I was so excited to hear from Coach. Just it was super excited. They're all the teams wearing suspenders and turtlenecks. Just everything about it was spot on and good for the Pagulas for making this night about RJ, but Making everybody feel welcomed into it, making it feel like a family atmosphere, that atmosphere in the arena should be a true wake-up call for ownership, for the Sabres, because that's what it can be. If you feel like you can put a team on the ice that plays a brand of hockey that is just, and not just exciting, and that's something I think the shallowest thing Sabres fans have been telling us for years, that just put an entertaining product on the ice and we will show up. And that might be true to a certain extent, but this isn't about entertainment. There's something more to this city about its sports teams than entertainment. There's a true emotional connection, and it just, it was no better displayed than what we saw last night. And I can tell you that I yearned for the moment where you're sitting next to a complete stranger taking in a moment like a lot of people got to take in yesterday and want to like reach out and hug you and like you're at church and you're turning around to the to the you know the stranger behind you and and shaking their hand and saying hello I hope how how you doing hope you're well like those are the sorts of things that you feel at Sabres games at least that's how I felt during I don't know, the, the peak of my Sabres fandom, 05, 06, 07, 08, that, that, that sort of run brought a lot of emotional vibes together. And hearing the nostalgia, hearing the old calls, seeing some of the alumni that was in the arena, seeing Tim Connolly, I mean, that is a blast from the past. Good on the Sabres, good on. Listen, Don Granado continues to just get everything right. From on-ice product to how he's treating players, how he treats the media, how he talks about this team, it's important to him. It's important to the players. And I just, seeing the toxic, and I don't want to turn this, and I'll never want to turn this into a bash Jack Eichel thing or a bash Sam Reinhardt. I especially don't want to say I don't want to bash Sam Reinhardt because I don't think Sam Reinhardt did a damn thing wrong here. But it's hard for me to watch last night and to see the genuine joy. Guys like Peyton Krebs, who've been here for 15 days, for God's sake. I mean, like a cup of coffee. These guys are more embraced and embrace this city, Alex Tuck, than Jack Eichel ever did during his time here in multiple years. And uh, the keys to the city, the captaincy, everything, the whole city, the whole team, the whole organization was around one guy. And now it's about so much more than one guy. No, in fact, it, it, it yesterday was about one guy. It was about RJ. And making that night about a guy that so absolutely deserved the limelight, the spotlight, the opportunity to send him off. And now I know he's got a couple of games here until the end of the season, and it's not goodbye, but it it certainly felt better than any goodbye I could think of yesterday was getting the win against a good Nashville team you know, getting up early, it's I, yesterday was the story of this team, right? Getting up early, adversity, and every single year for the last four or five seasons, you go up 3-1 and it's 3-3 going into the second period. The Sabres are losing 7-3. Every year. 
There's the fragility of the mindset of the team, of the organization. Everything has been moved forward. Good on Kevin Adams. The things he's been able to do, the, the personnel he's put in place, the people he's insulated himself around that help him make the right decisions. Everything is, is veering towards a positive direction. And I'll say this. Seeing it, feeling it, wanting, looking at the roster and saying, I don't know where you're going to add. This is going to be next year. This team's going to be 20-plus million under the salary cap floor. Other than goaltender and a right-hand defense, how many true forwards do you want to change? We're all talking about how can you keep Vinny Henestroza when there's already a logjam at the forward position. You want to see Jack Quinn. You want to see J.J. Paterka next year. Certainly, I want to see those guys play. I love the chemistry that I've seen from the Olafson, Aspeland, and Middlestat line. That's your third line, and I feel damn, that's the best third line this team has thrown out in two decades. Not that long, but it feels that way. It, five years ago feels like 25 years ago with the Sabres. That's how bad and negative everything they touched died. But what happens? Eventually, we were all sold on the idea because of Human nature, the environment, everything around us, what dies eventually is to be reborn. But the rebirth has taken forever. And the rebirth has been more painful than any rebirth of any sports franchise ever. I know that Arizona Coyotes, they don't deserve a rebirth, by the way. So they can just, you know, wither away and they can die and eventually maybe something grows in its place. But what we know about human nature, what we know about everything that dies, right, in the earth eventually is used as fertilizer to grow something greater and better. And we've been waiting not even for something greater, just something slightly better, something to hold on to. And yesterday was the culmination of years of emotionless feeling and feeling like you're best friend, your, your, your parent, your girlfriend, your spouse, right? Like it felt like the distance between you and this organization could never get, could never get greater, could never get deeper and could never be more negative that people were walking away 30, 40 year season ticket holders, people with season tickets from the odd were walking away. And yesterday, a bunch of people got together and determined that, you know what, tonight we're going to forget a lot about the past and we're going to toast the guy who's been a part of it all, who's always been the most consistent figure in all of our lives, and toast him in the right way. Good on Sabres fans for showing up, for cheering, and good on the team for putting a performance together that really kept the good times and stretched it out. We didn't have to enjoy the first part of the game and then watch a crappy product for the rest of the night. They're exciting. They care. I don't know what else Sabres fans could want. Start filling the arena. They've earned it. Even if you don't believe ownership has earned it, the players have. The coach has. It's time. It's time for all of us, myself, Go on StubHub. Go buy the tickets. Support this team because they have earned it this year. And next year, I hope they take this momentum. I hope Kevin Adams can bottle up the emotion all of us are feeling after yesterday. How you top yesterday, I don't know. They probably won't, right? They probably won't. But they've earned the right for us to give them a chance. And they've earned the right to give them an opportunity to try again on Sunday, to try again in two weeks, to try again against 
Chicago when they end the season at home. They've earned the right for us to be there in the building to support them and watch them. And I hope all of you after yesterday, especially the people that are in the arena that haven't been there in a few years, take the things they felt yesterday and apply it to a team that has earned the right to take your money, right? And it's not as simple it's not as simple as that, but earn the right to have your support. And it feels good that I can sit on the soapbox and not tell you this and not feel genuine about it. I feel genuine when I say this team has earned the right of our of all of our mutual and collective support. And good on them for winning it back because I was not of the mind that they were ever going to win back the support in a real meaningful way. Not just a way that you have to support them because they're here and you don't want them to move, but because they earned the right for your support. So good on the Sabres. Good on Terry and Kim Pagula for not just getting this right, but for putting people in place like Kevin Adams when all of us called him idiots for doing it. They got the right guy in Kevin Adams. He's the right guy at the right time, just like Don Granado is. And whether they backdoored into Don Granado or not, he's here and he's great. And whether or not they lucked into trading Jack Eichel and getting Alex Tuck and Peyton Krebs, it doesn't matter. They're great, and they're perfect for this city. They're perfect for this organization, perfect for this team. And I think it's time all of us acknowledge it and start supporting them, and not necessarily forgetting the past, but use it as a reason to continue our support for the future. So good on the Sabres. What an amazing night. I wish I could have turned that 15 minutes into more like a half hour, uh, but I digress. We are going to switch gears here. And uh, I don't know how you switch gears from that, by the way. I was uh, an animated conversation nonetheless. But uh, I've got a good friend who will be hopping on here, Matthew Paris of um, the Washington Times. I've had Matt on before. He's a great guy. He covers the commanders for the Washington Times. He's going to help us navigate just what has been going on in commander land over the last couple of months and into the start of this offseason. Matt, thank you so much for making time for me on your Saturday afternoon, man. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to chatting some Washington commanders with you, uh, mostly because they seem to be in the news a lot. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, but hey, busy's good in March uh, because it was funny. I, somebody tweeted out a big uh, like a big thing of, of the top storylines of March, and it looked like it took up like three PR pages. There's There's been a lot going on, and not to say that the commanders haven't necessarily been the center of this attention, but they've certainly had their, their beacon of attention over the last couple of months. I want to start with you with Carson Wentz, Matt, because I think it's an interesting story how it's he's being framed in the from Indianapolis, and not just from fans, but for the first time, Matt, I get a real, I, I feel uncomfortable with how Jim Irsay, his former coach Frank Reich, and, and Chris Ballard have framed this whole Carson Wentz thing. Certainly, there is something there that maybe the common fan or somebody in the NFL may not be seeing, but I have never seen the level of, I, I, I'll call it what it is, it feels like a smear campaign from the Indianapolis Colts. And it has not, in my opinion, come off very good for them. Carson has kept his mouth shut. He doesn't really talk about it. He's moving forward. And everything you can, negative you could say about Carson Wentz, the guy doesn't go up there. He could easily have, you know, as the kids would say, clap back, right? And instead he's moving forward. And to see grown men who are running an organization – it's like, you're, it's like the ex that broke up with you that's telling all your friends how terrible you are. It's just a really weird look from Indianapolis. Have you ever seen anything like that? Yeah, and, and listen, like I, I, Carson Wentz was basically exactly what everyone thought the Washington or, or that the Indianapolis Colts were getting last year. 
I guess it's not it's not his fault that the team traded a first round pick for him when I and I think the expectations now, Matt, are probably right, right? Like two third round picks is probably what Carson Wentz should have been traded for last year when he went from Philadelphia to Indianapolis. It's not his fault that that team overpaid and the expectations were higher than they probably should have been. What are your expectations and what are Washington Commanders fans' expectations of Carson Wentz, considering the last few years have not been pretty? It's been mostly built up in negative press, off-the-field stuff, questions about his leadership ability, and then you get the combination of all of that and you get the Jacksonville Jaguars Week 18 game last year where in a win against the worst team in the league and you're in, and Carson Wentz is not necessarily the sole reason they lose that game, but he certainly played a big part. From then to now, Matt, what are the expectations in Washington for Wentz this season, considering this is a team that has been looking for a franchise quarterback for what it seems to be, as a Bills fan and people in Buffalo, we would like to think that forever is what the Bills dealt with, and I want to say Washington's probably right in the forever territory. Matthew Paris here. He's a Washington Commanders beat reporter for the Washington Times on our West Her Hotline talking about the Commanders offseason and and centering a lot of that conversation around Carson Wentz. And when you start to look in and start to think about this upcoming season, Matt, like you look across the NFC at large and it feels like a lot of there, there's a lot of mediocre teams in the NFC that are going to be vying for playoff spots. And if you are Washington right now and you, and you do strike out with Russell Wilson and you, you end up trading two thirds for Carson Wentz, you know, I've got Pete Smith, who covers the, the Cleveland Browns here at 1 o'clock for, for Sports Illustrated. And one of the things that I'm going to ask him about is this Baker Mayfield situation, right? Former number one overall pick, $18 million guaranteed, a fifth-year option this year, and next year he becomes a free agent. Are you at all surprised that even though Washington already went out and traded two-thirds for Carson Wentz, that they're maybe not also in on a guy like Baker Mayfield? And if he were to become available and Washington didn't have to give up assets for him, do you think that's a player – Considering, listen, I mean, I think Wentz is fine. I, he's probably not the worst starting quarterback in your division. Uh, that's probably Daniel Jones. And I would think, though, that there's probably no way they really view Wentz as the bona fide like, quarterback of the future, right? Like, not enough where you wouldn't want to necessarily have a hedge or someone you might believe that's a former number one overall pick in Baker Mayfield to come in and maybe compete for that job. Is that... Is that at all like a potential mindset or play for Washington? Or do you believe that Washington is full on dead set and they believe that Carson Wentz is not only the quarterback of them this year, but also maybe the future? I think they're kind of full on dead set. Now, some caveats apply with that. If you look at Wentz's contract, they can easily get out of it after this season. So uh, I think that's kind of what they're viewing it as is all right, if he is a disaster, if it doesn't go as planned, then we can cut him and get out of it. Now, they probably will add another quarterback at some point, but I think more of just another developmental arm. You know, Rivera has said that the, the Wentz trade um, alters what they want to do at 11. So if you read between the lines, that's not taking a quarterback. And, you know, even bringing in someone like Mayfield to the fold, well, that would, you know, you have to think about, about the situation in Philadelphia Wentz went through where he had to compete with uh, Jalen Hurts and got benched. And it was kind of, um, you know, just I think that would be an unforced error by Washington. Just mm. you don't want to do anything to disrupt your quarterback, your new quarterback's ego, or anything like that. And you kind of want to sell him on the vision for the franchise because if you think about Wentz's intro press conference, the main theme of that was Rivera saying, "You're wanted here. You're our guy." And 
but they bring in someone like Baker Mayfield, and that pretty much runs um, contrary to all those previous statements. So I, I think that would just put the relationship on a bad note, and I don't necessarily think they're looking to do that. All right, so my last two for you here, Matthew, are centered around Daniel Snyder, and, and I guess it's really just to pick which scandal I want to talk about with you. And I guess we'll start with this ongoing, or, or I guess that's what we're supposed to believe, is there's an ongoing active investigation, look into, deeper look into the NFL at large that has been centered around the Washington Commanders um, and their football team, and that included upwards of, what, 50,000 emails, the same group of emails and the same scandal that ultimately cost John Gruden his job. And I'm just wondering, it feels like from afar, as a football fan, that the fact that John Gruden was the story of, uh, of an investigation that's really centered around Washington feels a little scapegoaty to me. And I, I'm not here to tell you or minimize anything that John Gruden has done or was accused of doing. But it feels a little dirty to me that he's so far the only one that has been a, that's been sort of forced to fall on the sword here. And I'm wondering, from that particular investigation, before we get into the new one that is <laughs> maybe even more ridiculous and interesting, like from this one, do you believe that the investigation the NFL did uh, around a lot of the sexual harassment and sexual assault allegations that it were against Daniel Snyder and really the culture um, that he had built in Washington, have we heard the last of that one um, before we get on to the next one? Um, yes and no. No in the sense that Congress is still investigating. So if you remember, there were kind of multiple investigations. There was one that the NFL did, and they didn't release a full written report. And so that caused the John Gruden stuff to come out and um, the Congress to get involved and launch uh, an investigation of their own on the House Oversight and Reform Committee. And so they started looking into, you know, what exactly was happening there. How did the NFL handle this? Why did they not produce a written report? And so that is still ongoing, and that had new developments this past week that we can talk about. Um, But in terms of the NFL, whether they will actually release a written report, I don't think they will. They've said that they aren't going to, and I don't see anything that can change their mind. But they are looking into a new allegation against Dan Snyder that was made about a month ago. Um, A former cheerleader and marketing manager accused Dan Snyder of uh, touching her thigh inappropriately at a work dinner in 2005 or 2006. And so the NFL hired uh, Mary Jo White, a former U.S. attorney, to look into that claim. And uh, there should be a written report from that is what the week is saying. So, Matthew, the other one, and and then this is the most recent report about uh, it, it looks like, anyways, some financial dealings that uh, there's there's at least some accusations of fraud and potentially um, Daniel Snyder having one book uh, for the league and another separate book of finances um, that was the true reality of the revenue and some of the profit numbers for the organization. Where do you believe Daniel Snyder stands in terms of support from his colleagues, other owners in the league, and ultimately Roger Goodell. Like, it sounds like maybe the league was ready, and, and I don't say this lightly, I recognize that what I'm saying is, is, is kind of an accusation against the league, but it feels a little like the league was comfortable with sweeping the original story that we just spoke about under the rug, but now when you're talking about lying to the league about your finances, 
now you're talking about something that is directly affecting owners and the and the commissioner. And now they, I'm thinking they simply won't let that one roll. Maybe they'll allow a culture and decades of you know sexual harassment and wrongdoings against women. Maybe they'll they'll put that under the rug. But don't you dare miss you know, misappropriate funds or don't you dare lie about how much money that, that you're actually worth because that is the thing that'll get you over the top. Like, do you, what do you, if you were to take the temperature of his support right now amongst his colleagues and, and ownership, where do you think that lands right now? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, a, a few months ago, even before this, there was that pro football talk report that Snyder might be losing support among his fellow owners and whether that could lead to his eventual ouster. Now, I think that's still pretty premature. The NFL has kind of stayed quiet on this new allegation of uh, financial wrongdoing, and we'll just kind of have to see what actually um, comes from that. You know, the details, even though there there was that general accusation, it, it's still pretty light on what the team may or may not have done. And so uh, I'm kind of waiting to see more information for that personally before you know we jump to any conclusions. But in terms of how this impacts the NFL, yeah, you know, they, they haven't said whether they're going to actually look into this claim. They haven't really said anything. And so will this lead to him losing support among the owners? I, I don't know, truthfully. And But it reminds me of what Don, um, Donald Sterling went through in the NBA where eventually they just kind of reached a breaking point with him and uh, forced him out eventually. But you just kind of wonder how much more they can take. Matthew, we appreciate you, man. Thanks for uh, spending some time on your Saturday afternoon with me. Enjoy the rest of your off season, and uh, I'm sure we'll be chatting again soon at some point here as we uh, head into draft season and uh, OTA season. So we appreciate you, my friend. All right, thank you. Awesome. Matthew Paris there of the Washington Times. I'm going to take a timeout because I've got Evan Lazar of CLNS Media. He's coming up next. We're going to talk about the Patriots offseason or lack thereof. That's coming up next here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. All right, gang, welcome back. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. We're going right back to the Wester Hotline, where joining me now is Evan Lazar, who covers the Patriots for CLNS Media. He's also the host of the Patriots Beat Podcast. Evan, good afternoon to you, my friend, and welcome in. Happy to have you back on, man. 
Happy to be here, Nate. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. And um, a quiet offseason for you, man. You know, last year you were a busy dude. I can only imagine how many new player profiles you had to come up with last year, how much content you had going. I mean, you probably were on cruise control from, you know, first week of March well into June with all of the content that uh, that they gave you going into last year. Going to be a little lighter this year, bud. You're going to be having to uh, to search for some <laughs> stories in June. I hope you're ready. Uh, the worst part about it is right now the, the stories that we're searching for are the players that they've even contacted about potentially signing with the Patriots, right? And the uh, the coin, the phrase that's been coined around here is the interest king because they've been interested <laughs> in a bunch of different free agents. Uh, the latest one last night was Jeremy Fowler reporting that they've had contact with Odell Beckham Jr. This is just the latest big name that the Patriots have been linked to throughout this free agency process, and nobody has signed here because the Patriots are not willing to meet the monetary level that these other teams are. The price range is just too much for them. They're being conservative. They're not spending this offseason after spending over $200 million guaranteed last offseason, and that's where we're at. And I think the frustrating part for Patriots fans is – okay, we can understand that you're not going to spend like you did last year. You're not going to go on another spending spree. You're tighter up against the cap. But to not make the team better in any area of the roster and not bring in at least one free agent that moves the needle or one trade that moves the needle, that's the frustrating part. And, Evan, like I, I not that I think that the Patriots or that really any team should allow the moves of other teams in the conference – dictate how aggressive or non-aggressive your team is. There is a sense to me, Evan, that this was an offseason that the Patriots couldn't afford to sort of just get left behind the pack. And not only did it that happen more than likely, but it happened within the division. Now, you know, you and I, I'm not sure where you stand on the Tyree Kill move and the Miami Dolphins sort of going all in with Tua. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of... I'm maybe not as bullish as other people are on on this, you know, on the moves that the Miami Dolphins have made. But do you get the sense that that Patriots fans, maybe where your thought process is, have they been passed by the by the Dolphins, or are you still? And this is where I'm at is like maybe we should wait till the games are played, and maybe we should see what this looks like on the field because I just am not sold on Tua Tonga Viola. Yeah, so I, I think the big thing is right now you start to stack together the teams that are probably better than the Patriots, at least on paper, you get to nine or 10 teams in the AFC that have a really good case that they're better teams on paper than new England, including Miami who beat the Patriots twice last season. Now they beat them twice last year with Brian Flores as their head coach. And obviously his institutional knowledge of the Patriots and their schemes probably had a lot to do with that. So we'll see what Mike McDaniel can do against Bill Belichick versus Flores. But I'm not ready to crown Miami either, and I do think the Patriots, at least the spin that they're giving all of us, is one, they're planning on having another big draft, and two, they're hoping that the guys they signed last year, you know, Johnny Smith has a bigger year, Hunter Henry has a bigger year, Matthew Judon, they kind of improve from within organizationally, and then obviously Mac Jones takes that next leap in his second season. So that's the spin, is that they've got the draft, and you hope that the guys that were here last year improve and everybody gets better together. So I want to kind of ask you about the philosophy and the execution of Bill Belichick's post-Tom Brady plans because it feels like they went – 
big money spending in an offseason that almost no one else did because of the flat salary cap last year and the idea that a lot of good players that were going to hit free agency in 2021 decided to go back to their team on a one-year deal to sort of push off their free agency year an additional year to when they knew that teams would likely overpay. And now the good players are being overpaid. But it's not to say that the Patriots didn't overpay last year. It's probably just the degree in which they overpaid last year is less than they probably would have if they did it this year. But I I would say that the group of players, the the guys that they looked like they wanted to be on – uh, in on, they just weren't able to get to the level of overpayment that other teams were because of the spending they did last year. Is there almost a little bit of a, a sense of buyer's remorse to be the only team to really spend money last offseason when almost everybody looked at this offseason as the one where a lot of the key free agents were going to become available because they just believed they were going to get a better payday by waiting that extra year? Yeah, I, I hear you. I think the goal was to go about this in a two-year window. So what they signed last year. They have most of those guys under three- or four-year contracts. Nelson Aguilar is only under a two-year contract, so he's going to be a free agent next offseason. So the Patriots will be flushed with cash again in 2023. So they might not go on a spending spree like we saw last year, but they'll be able to add significant talent to their roster this time next year. So I think that the goal was to see what this ha- what this free agent class that they put together in 2021 looks like for two seasons then once they can kind of sit back and say okay this worked that didn't work now we can start to move on from certain pieces and bring in other pieces to supplement those guys so in some ways i i think that there is a little bit of like you said buyer's remorse for some of the guys that they signed last year for instance would they redo the johnny smith contract Mm. right if they had to do this all over again and they were able to go back and change some things. Now Johnny Smith is counting for over $16 million against their salary cap this year. Obviously, that they could use that money probably in a much more productive way than giving it to a guy like Johnny Smith. And the problem is, is he's under contract for three more years at pretty good term, so you can't even move the contract, right? It's not tradable. You can't cut him because of the dead money on the deal. So they're kind of stuck with making Johnny Smith work next season and they're stuck making Johnny Smith work without Josh McDaniels without a real offensive coordinator so they got to figure that out and I I think in some ways looking at it now as fun as it was for us to cover and like you said all the player profiles I got to do and all the fun and things that we had in free agency last year did they have to go out and spend every last dime right could they have carried a little bit more over into the 2022 offseason so that they would have some more flexibility now because there are players, not necessarily Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill, sure. but I think there are players that did come available this offseason that they would have been interested, that they would have been in on if they hadn't have literally spent to the cap last year and spent all of their money in 2021. Evan Lazar here on the Wester Hotline. Evan covers the Patriots for CLNS Media. You can also hear his podcast, The Patriots Beat. Um, so, Evan, I, I, I want to maybe drill down a little bit on two points you just made in your response there. First is the John U. Smith saga, or I'm not sure what you want to call it at this point, and the fact that Josh McDaniels, who I think everyone just sort of 
took as a guy that would maybe be there forever just based on him flirting with jobs, the the whole Colts debacle. Um, I, I get the sense that not a lot of people thought he was going to be a head coach again, even though he probably thought he did. I think a lot of people from the outside looking in and probably a lot of Patriots fans as well thought he'd be the he'd be there for the long haul and eventually be the successor to Bill Belichick. And now that that's no longer the case, uh, how do you uh, how do you imagine this team looks you know, come week one, and, and is this really going to be a think tank of Matt Patricia and Joe Judge and, and Bill Belichick, and can that group tank of, you know, mostly defensive-minded and special teams-minded guys put an offense together uh, in year two of Mac Jones that is e- at least equal to what they were last year, and how do you get more from an investment like Jonu Smith? Because, Evan, not only was he not a factor last year, um, but he was sort of an enigma at times. And it looked like he was the kind of guy that you were trying to find plays for. But if Josh McDaniels can't find packages and plays, why am I to buy that a group of defensive-minded coaches are going to somehow figure that out? You shouldn't. Uh, This is the biggest concern with the team right now is what's going on on the offensive coaching staff. Robert Kraft spoke at the owners meetings uh, earlier this week and even he said I, I got to be honest from my perspective it doesn't look great either right but we got to trust Bill Belichick and his track record and pattern of success and hope that Bill has the best interest of the team and knows what he's doing Belichick confirmed at the owners meetings that it's going to be Judge and Patricia and himself basically leading the offense on that side of the ball Nick Cayley and Troy Brown the tight ends coach and wide receivers coach and Obviously, I'm sure Buffalo remembers Troy Brown from his playing days. They're also on the coaching staff. They'll be involved with the offense as well. But the, like you said, the, the brain trust of that side of the football is going to be Judge, Patricia, and Belichick from everything that we have heard. Now, those three guys obviously all have head coaching experience, all have roots in the system. So it's not like they've never sure. done it or been here before. So I don't want to completely bash them or not give them the benefit of the doubt but i think the biggest concern that you have with it is like you said they have no experience doing it they have a second year quarterback in mac jones they have a bunch of new pieces from last year still that they're trying to implement like johnny smith and belichick has hinted and this is kind of gets into johnny's role and everything moving forward that they would like to have some schematic changes to what they've done in the past to fit Mac to fit the pieces around him that they added last year. And one of those guys is Johnny, who I think is going to be used a little bit more out of the backfield this year than what he was last year. I think the biggest problem that they had with him last year is when they had tried to turn him into that traditional in-line tight end, like a Rob Gronkowski, for example, that they've had in this offense for so long. He's just not that type of player. He's not a route runner. Uh, He's not somebody that gets open at the top of the route. Uh, He is someone that you need to get the football in his hands and let him be an athlete, right? Get him into space. Let him run with the football. He's very hard to bring down. He's explosive, and he's a big guy. So when he gets up to that full speed, it's hard to tackle him. So the Patriots have said, and they let Jakob Johnson, their fullback, walk to the Las Vegas Raiders, really didn't compete there or want to bring him back. And the big reason why, I think, is because Jonu is going to take on more of a fullback, H-back type of role coming out of the backfield, kind of like the 49ers use Kyle Juszczyk, I think is sort of the goal here with Johnny Smith. And although that's a very expensive fullback, (laughs) H-back, I I do think that that is better than what we saw last year out of him, certainly. So I I think that that's the goal there. 
But, yeah, I mean, look, the coaching staff is a big problem, and they have – they're going to add, I think, in the draft on offense. So I, I think they're going to be young players on that side of the ball, maybe a starter on the offensive line, maybe a, another pass catcher that's going to be a rookie. And they're going to have to bring all these guys along without really anybody with a ton of experience. And, honestly, the rumblings now – are that Belichick himself is probably going to end up calling the offense. So not only does that concern you just because, well, if Bill's calling the offense, then what is he actually helping with the defense, right? Or is that all going to be Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo, which last year towards the end of the year and obviously against Buffalo did not go well. So is he spread too thin now? Because we all, we all know that if Bill Belichick wants to call offense, Bill Belichick can call offense. Right. I mean, he's Bill Belichick. He, he, he can do it. But the problem is, is now he's not helping on defense, which is really where everybody wants Bill's attention to be. So it, it's just that's the biggest concern going in, maybe even more so, I would say, than the talent on the roster. So, Evan, let me ask you this. And maybe this, this, maybe this is an unfair question, and maybe it's not. I, I don't know. I, I just think about the NFL, and, and I think of what, what a lot of people would argue is like, they use NFL, they say no fun league, right? But I, I, I call it not for long, and it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. And I get all of the mortgage and all of the goodwill that Bill Belichick had earned by winning multiple Super Bowls, being the greatest head coach ever. But for a long time, I think a lot of smart people have been saying, like, he hasn't been a good general manager. He just has not. His personal decisions have been detrimental. Um, he pushed away Tom Brady at the end. Now, Tom was probably going to do his own thing anyways, but I guess what has he done lately to earn the right to do things like talk about calling offense when it's not only unprecedented, Evan. I, it, unprecedented doesn't go really go far. It's just never really been done in modern-day football. And I just wonder, short of being Bill Belichick, I don't know that that would be enough, really, for any other coach ever. And I ju the track record for the last couple of years just has not been good enough without Brady to have the opportunity to sort of do what he's doing without being questioned, if that makes sense. And I'm, I'm not saying he's not being questioned, but I guess it's it should go further than being questioned, I guess, is where I want to leave that, Evan. Yeah, I mean, I think Robert Kraft said it the best at the owners' meetings this past week when he said, it bothers him that the Patriots haven't won a playoff game since they won the Super Bowl in 2018. Even in Brady's last year, they lost to the Titans on Wild Card Weekend, and that was Brady's last game in New England. So they haven't won a playoff game here in three seasons. Now, obviously, last year they get back to the playoffs with a rookie quarterback, and it was a positive season, right? It was a step in the right direction, especially after the Cam Newton year. But at the same time, I, I do think the owner is starting to get a little bit impatient and he mm. spent all this money last off season because Bill told him that it was the right thing to do. So they went out there, they spent, I, I think the figure is actually like 180 million guaranteed or something like that. in that free agency class, they drafted the quarterback at 15. They did all the things that the personnel and the football ops people said were the right things to do in this rebuild. And they got good results out of it last year, but then they got their, doors blown off of them by Buffalo in, in the wild card round. So did it really get them that far, right? It got them back to the playoffs, which I think was important. But at the same time, it wasn't exactly like they went on some magical playoff run, mm. right, with Matt Jones' rookie year. So in terms of the leash for Bill Belichick at this point, it's tough to say because I think the hardest thing is 
and Robert Kraft kind of alluded to this, there's nobody better than Bill Belichick, right? So when you start to talk about who's going to be the next guy and if Bill, if the game is passed Bill by, like who, who can replace him, right? I mean, are you really going to find an, even, a mar, even a lateral move in terms of football acumen than Bill Belichick? I don't know. Mm. But I do think what people are hopeful for, and this is another problem, and it goes down a whole different rabbit hole, is that Matt Groh, who was promoted to the director of player personnel when Dave Ziegler left with Josh McDaniels, is the son of Al Groh, who coached with Bill on four different staffs, right, with the Giants, with the Browns, with the Pats. And this is basically another guy that Bill has control over, right? It's it, Magro is at Bill's mercy. This is not somebody that's going to go up in the draft room at 21 in a month and Jamison Williams is on the board and Bill's going to say, oh, no, we're going to take a guard, right? Like This is not a guy that's going to stand there and say, no, Bill, like you got to take Jamison, right? This is Don't be crazy. Don't, don't take Zion Johnson and have a, a left guard <laughs> when we can have the next Tyree kill. Like, what are you doing, right? Yeah. I don't think Matt Groh is going to be that guy. So who in the room is going to stand up and challenge Belichick mm. and say, this is the right thing to do? Right now he's surrounded himself with everybody that is at his mercy, from Groh to Judge to Patricia. All these guys owe him their careers in the sport. So – that's my problem with it is that I just don't know where the checks and balances are. And yeah. it might end up actually having to come from ownership, which it's, Robert Kraft doesn't want tough. to meddle. Yeah, right. He's, he never really has, right? And, and I think no. that's – and what I think what you're talking about is surrounding yourself with yes-men. And we know that in a world yeah. – in the world right now, and not just in football, but ever, having that – being surrounded by yes-men is not exactly – putting you on the path to success. It'll, it, it, I am genuinely interested, Evan, in how the rest of this offseason plays off. I'm super late for break, so i got to jump here. Um, no tell problem. the folks where they can find your work, uh, what you got coming up, and uh, obviously we'll be doing this again soon. But, but tell the folks that may not know who you are uh, here in Buffalo where they can find your work so they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Easy Lazar on Twitter and clnsmedia.com. Awesome. Evan, appreciate you, boss. Enjoy your Saturday. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the draft coming up. We'll talk after that. Sounds good, Nate. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Evan Lazar of CLNS Media and the Patriots Beat Podcast on the Western Hotline. I got two timeouts to get to. On the other side, Pete Smith of Sports Illustrated on the other side here on WGR. I was told this is a quick segment. I'm not sure why. I know why. I did a thing. Listen, Evan's a great guest to have on. I Listen, I blame management uh, because uh, I didn't have a full three hours. And if you know me, you know that I talk a lot, and I need a platform and a soapbox to do my talking. And this is how I – my girlfriend loves when I come to work on Saturdays so that I stop talking to her about sports and I can talk into a microphone to all you people. And now she's mad at our boss for, for not giving me that. Now she's going to have to deal with me talking about sports for an extra hour. So sorry, sweetheart. All right, time out on the other side. Pete Smith of SI. We're going to talk some Browns. It's coming up here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.